From the capital of the Finger Lakes, Geneva, New York, it's the Geneva Believer Show. Unfiltered, unflinching, independent news, interviews, investigative reporting and analysis that you won't hear anywhere else. And now, here's your host of the Geneva Believer Show, Jim Meany. Hello, believers. Welcome to the Geneva Believer Show. I guess today is Natalie Ann Not. We get into some good stuff. Check it out. The Geneva Believer Show. Today's guest is formerly a legal aid attorney specializing in housing here in Geneva and is now a criminal defense attorney based out of Rochester. Her name's Natalie Ann Knott, and uh, she's a force of nature. We covered a lot of territory in our talk, got into stuff about uh, housing in Geneva, we got into police accountability, and we also took a little walk down memory lane with uh, an issue related to downtown. So um, stick around and check it out. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. Please uh, reach out. Let me know what you're thinking. Let me know what you think of the show. Uh, Give me any ideas for guests, topics. If you'd like to be a guest yourself, uh, you can reach out by going to GenevaBeliever.com, filling out information on the contact page. You can go to the Geneva Believer Facebook page and send a message or leave a comment there. Or you can call the Geneva Believer listener line at 315-577-3770, leave a comment, and I might just end up playing it during the podcast. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Natalie Knott. Hello, Believers, and welcome to the Geneva Believers Show. My guest today is formerly a legal aid attorney specializing in housing uh, and used to live in Geneva, but is now based out of Rochester and is a criminal criminal defense attorney, uh, but still heavily involved in things going on in Geneva. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome... Natalie, and also, before I say that, also Natalie is a friend of mine and someone that I admire and someone who who, uh, who gives me uh, a lot of perspectives on things that I never would have uh, had perspective on um, due to my, uh, uh, my background and my upbringing and my life. So uh, I'm glad that Natalie's here, and I hope you are too. Ladies and gentlemen, Natalie and Knott. Thank you, Jim. Right back at you. Thank you. Hello, Genevans and wider world at large. <laughs> I hope you are all well this today. Yes. On behalf of the wider world at large, <laughs> I I thank you and welcome you. <laughs> all right. So we're off, and as I always like to start the podcast, um, Natalie, I'd like to uh, get into... Um, 
where you're from. You're not even from the East Coast. And so let's go way back to when uh, little Natalie was born and how it all how this all started. Well, I was born in Glendale, California, at Glendale Adventist. Um, I was raised, though, essentially in Rosemead, California, which is a, um, a little city uh in the middle of Los Angeles County. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think people have a weird idea about Los Angeles and that it's all sprawled, nobody's connected. But in your little city, like your little city is very much your little city. Um, and that's where um, I lived my entire life until literally the day after my 18th birthday uh-huh. <laughs> when I hopped on a plane and fled to New York City um, all by myself to attend theater conservatory. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. I, I was a, no idea. Yeah, I was a classically trained actor. Oh. Or I guess am. I don't know if that lapses after a certain <laughs> amount of time. Um, and because I'd been acting my entire childhood all my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I wanted to do right after high school. So I was in New York City for about four and a half years after I finished conservatory. I was auditioning, working. And I also just went back. I decided to go to college, college. Uh-huh. Um, so I was in the city doing that. And then running around for 20 hours a day uh, for four years tires you out. Yeah. So I decided to transfer colleges to finish college, and that took me to Walla Walla, Washington, uh-huh. <laughs> which is actually really interesting. It's a town so much like Geneva. Yeah. It's a it's in the middle of Washington wine country. Uh, instead of a lake, you have wheat fields um, mm-hmm. and the state penitentiary. <laughs> Uh-huh. It's so it's really funny. Yeah, it's the mix mix of like the state penitentiary, which is just outside of town, and then rolling wine fields and wineries and wine money on the other side of town. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting, uh, and up, it goes all, all up around the prison. It's very weird. Um, so I finished college there. I moved to Seattle for a couple years, where I was working as an event planner, and I tra- had the luxury, I should say, I had an incredible luxury to travel around the country, six days a week, five cities a week, all over the United States, and the English-speaking provinces of Canada. Uh-huh. So I got to see a lot of the country and yeah. um, watch local news, which is two things that are my favorite things to do when you travel: <laughs> is watch the local news and go to the grocery stores. Uh-huh. You learn so much about the people, like your your people who are around you yeah um and then after that i went to law school that was in boston at uh, northeastern university um then it was back to new york city for a year uh-huh. for a couple fellowships so and, uh, not to interrupt but how did how do you jump from being an event planner to deciding to go to law school oh i knew i wanted to go to law school after after college graduation i just needed some some breathing time mm-hmm. um for you know pretty much all the all of my all of my time up until then i had Worked a full-time job and gone to school and done a million other things. I just kind of wanted, I wanted to travel, but I couldn't afford to. So I had to figure out a way to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just kind of wanted to do one thing for a little bit of time. Right. So that, and then just kind of prepare for law school. Because once you go to law school, you're then a lawyer and then... As I as I kind of correctly predicted, you're, you're on a roller coaster that never stops once after that first day of law school. Yeah. So um, it was a job I found. Um, it was it was grueling, but it was a job I found. It was decently added, and it was just mm-hmm. a good way to travel and see things um, and build up a lot of frequent flyer miles. Yeah. <laughs> um, so after. Um, Law school, then I was back in New York City for a couple fellowships, and I was looking for legal aid jobs at that point. Mm-hmm. And there was an advertisement for Legal Assistance of Western New York for a housing attorney. And I applied, and 
they granted me an interview, which I was kind of shocked about. It. I don't know why. Uh-huh. So I just rented a car from New York City and drove up here for the night. I got super lost on the way. Uh-huh. Ended up coming up the slow way through Ithaca. And I interviewed, and as I was leaving the um, building to like to go home to get in my car and drive back to New York City, I just kind of took a took a circle around downtown. Uh-huh. I was like, I really, really hope I get this job because I really want to mm-hmm. live in this. I'll be honest. I said weird little town. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I really want to be here. I think this is, um, and so I did get the job. And I moved up here to be a legal aid attorney, and I was for about three and three-quarter years here. Mm-hmm. And during that time, I kind of, I mean, I think you can get the point from that story that I have a little bit of wanderlust. But, right. like, I kind of finally found the place where I felt at home, where I felt like I understood things, where I felt like I just felt at peace. I feel at peace in Geneva. Yeah. 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 Um, and I've had the opportunity to make some amazing friends here that are like family and to also get very, very, very involved in this community that I love and I care about and I've chosen. Mm-hmm. So just to go back, though, what's what you said you always knew you wanted to go to law school. Uh-huh. But, but why, what was it inside of you or however you want to put it that oh. made you want to go in that direction? I, um, I, I don't like abuses of power. I don't mm-hmm. like when people who abuse their power get away with it. I don't like that we make it so easy and so permissible for people to get away with harming other people mm-hmm. on very grand, very um, profound and deep and uh, irreversible ways. Um, yep. And I'm not a great I'm not great at science or math. Well, actually, that's not true. I'm great at science. I'm not great at math. Uh-huh. So I couldn't be a doctor. So I figured the next. Um, the next step to the next the next job I could take that would help me figure out how to get at that issue, get mm-hmm. at the issue of power and abuses of power, um, was law. All right. So let me. Uh, I have something here. I'm going to take you back a little bit. Okay. To uh, when you first moved to Geneva, I'm just going to give you a little uh, a little walk down memory lane. <laughs> so you first get to Geneva. You're walking around downtown in a, a, a nice uh, early afternoon, and. Uh, this happens. <laughs> oh, the fire horn. Um, actually, the funny thing was, so my old o- the office I used to work at was right downtown. Uh-huh. So we would be in the office and we could hear it. Like we'd have yeah. to stop phone calls. And we, I, like, I remember the first time I was in the office, I was like, what, the, what is that? And I walked yeah. out and I was like looking around. They're like, oh, there's just a fire horn. And I was like, why is they're a fire horn. They're like, oh, well, they use it if there's ever a fire to summon all the volunteer fire people. Now, first of all, I had never heard that a town could have volunteer fire people, so that was a shock. Uh-huh. I was like, there's not a, a firehouse full of guys just waiting yeah. to respond at any given time, and then you call one place and they're there? They're like, no, it's a smaller town. And I was like, okay. But um, don't they have cell phones? <laughs> and we're like, it's, we, yeah, we know. It's, it's an idiosyncrasy. Yeah, that's how it was, you know, paint. And it was an idiosyncrasy, and it happened, you know, at all these different times. But my other issue was that I lived downtown too. I lived on the row houses, yep. um, and so sometimes that fire horn would go off at two a.m. Mm-hmm. Or and I had friends who lived on, um, oh my god, gosh, um, 
you, Linden. You uh, thank you. So, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who lived on Linden Street when it yeah. would go off at 2 a.m. And we would all just, it was, at, you know, you'd startle up if something happened and then you'd remember a fire horn. Yeah. But if you live on Linden Street, it was far worse because it was yeah. right there. Um, so we started being like this. There has to be other systems. Like, they have to have other more reliable systems. There has to be, like, a... Yep. And it turns out there was. And it also turns out that the city was thinking of... Uh, I remember this whole period. The mm-hmm. city was thinking of getting rid of the the weekly and the tests and all of the fire horn, mess, uh, fire horn stuff. And so I showed up at his, you know, his hearing for it. Uh-huh. And I made some... Uh, silly jokes, but I was really, it was like the first time I had actually, you know, um, engaged with Geneva on a formal level. And it was, it was nice. It was, it was, I mean, I hate to be this person, but it was, it was like a Parks and Rec episode, but in a good way. Like right. everybody was there earnestly engaged, like, mm-hmm. re- re- you know, describing how this was injuring them. I saw my landlord. I, you know, saw the guy who owned the wine bar. Like I knew all of these people. And we were just here trying to like, you know, make our wishes known. And um, I remember it was a little intimidating because the first row was taken up by firefighters in their full yeah. gear. And every time we would try to say like, hey, like you have other systems. Can you please just use those? Because this is really disruptive to life here. And it was, you know, it, it would stop the con- they, they would stop that conversation and pause to like, oh, but the fire chief is so great. And we respect our firemen yeah, yeah. so much. And that was never part of the debate. We, of course, we all, everybody yeah. loves fire people. Yeah. Um, everybody respects them. Everybody um, thanks them for the incredibly scary job they do. Yeah. But there's also people have a right to live quietly and not be woken up at 3 a.m. Um, and the fire department themselves said they had systems in place mm-hmm. that they didn't need this fire horn. Well, they didn't yeah. say they didn't need it, but that they had systems in place that they weren't relying on this fire horn as their sole right. means of communication. And also the other issue was that the fire horn only blared downtown. Right. It didn't blare right. in any of the other neighborhoods of the city. Mm-hmm. And we all knew that most most of the volunteer firemen do not live downtown. Mm-hmm. So we were also unsure, like, okay, we understand that you're saying you need this, but is it actually communicating with the people you say you're communicating with? Like, if that's the case, then let's put fire horns in every corner of the city to right. make sure that the message is getting out, because that's important. Yeah. But if that's not the case, then why are only downtown residents, you know, being disturbed regularly? And- I think that some of it was a sentimental thing, too. It was like, hey, we, we have this thing in Geneva. Because I grew up in um, a very small upstate New York town mm-hmm. called Apulia Station. Literally 100 people lived in the town. <laughs> and we, the only fire department we had were the volunteer fire, firefighters. Um, even though there were a couple of professional firefighters, like departments further away. But we had a fire. We called it the fire whistle. But it was different than this thing. This, this thing was... Uh, I mean, the, the, the one where I grew up, where I would, in a lot of the towns where I grew up, it would start like at a low volume. It's like, and then it would get louder. So it wasn't alarming. But when I first moved to Geneva, and I lived um, at the corner of Exchange and Castle, I remember the first time I heard it. I, I didn't know what it was. I thought it was an attack. I, I didn't know what it was. I, I ran to the window. I was like, what is that? What is that? It sounds like an air raid horn. Yeah, <laughs> because it just, because it starts immediately. It, it, there's no buildup to it. It's no. just, bang. Yeah. And uh, and then one day I was walking on on uh, uh, Castle Street, 
and it just happened to be around noon and I was walking right by City Hall and it went off and I jumped out of my shoes like you ever you ever like see a cat get startled and they just they just like jump yeah. straight up in the air like that's what I, I felt like my feet went like a foot off the ground. And, uh, That's what it was like. I yeah. mean, yeah. I mean, the mon- remember the regular Monday tests? Yeah. <laughs> and you'd always forget about it. And then it would happen. You'd jump and you'd be like, oh, it's Monday. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but that's that's been fixed. That I was know. one of those things that, you know, and it's gone and, you know, nobody really misses it. And No, and there was, I remember there was a significant amount of ire about it. Yeah. There were, there were bad feelings. But. But they dissipated. Like we yeah. made the every the community made the adjustment, and we're all fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing's burned down. Yeah, our firefighters are just as effective as they you know as they were. Yeah. All right. So, what do you want to talk about next? I, I know we want. Do you want to get, get into the the complaint resource um, assistance? Do you want to talk about these? I mean, other events that are going on. I think we definitely should. I I, I would like to maybe explain how I became kind of involved in this a little bit, okay. like where this the evolution of this was. Okay, so so just to give people a uh, an idea, we're we're uh, we're going to move into talking about um, some of the efforts that are being done with the community compact mm-hmm. right now. And the community compact was a mediation agreement signed between uh, the Geneva Police Department and leaders in the city, um, specifically uh, leaders in the African-American and Latino communities. Uh, It was initially signed in 2011 after uh, the police uh, killing of Corey Jackson, a young black man from Geneva. Um, There was a lot of uh, a lot of the frustrations that had built up for years had come to a head in the city. And a representative of the Department of Justice came to Geneva and helped uh, create this mediation agreement, which is in place to come up with ways to improve police community relations in the city. Uh, for the first five years, 2011, 2016, it kind of lost a lot of steam and it was uh, reinvigorated, uh, apparently, and re-signed in late 2016. And now there are uh, some events and other initiatives going on related to the compact coming up and happening in the city right now. Yeah. So I have a lot of thoughts about all of that. Um, first, um, it's really interesting to me that when somebody, when, when this happens, and it's happened in many communities, uh, police murder and uh, I believe Corey was unarmed, mm-hmm. unarmed person yes. sitting in a car. There was a fraud situation, but he was unarmed when he was murdered. Um, when please, what, what that, what that, I don't think we talk enough about what that does and says and the level of trauma that delivers it to a community. Um, that you, 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 it's a community that's been having longstanding issues for a long time, feeling mm-hmm. surveilled, feeling targeted, feeling, um, feeling, ne- and, but also feeling neglected at the same time. Mm-hmm. One of the insidious, one of the, um, the things we don't talk about in, um, communities of color when it comes to policing is we talk a lot about over policing, over policing for little things, over policing mm-hmm. for jaywalking, for too many kids walking home to school 
walking home from school in a group for, um, you know, stop and frisk type uh, petty harassments, the over policing of that. Mm -hmm. But the other side, and this is something I saw a lot as a housing attorney, is the under policing and not just from police, but also from other city officials like code enforcement officers, Mm -hmm. um, uh, code enforcement officers, a central one. But um, so when it comes to um, people of color interacting with the community, they're overplaced. But when it comes to people of color actually needing assistance, nobody responds. As a housing attorney in Geneva, I saw so, 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 so many cases of landlord landlord abuses of uh, landlords of not only just abusing their clients, you know, person to person, the typical way we would think of that, mm-hmm. but also abusing them by um, neglecting their housing concerns, mm-hmm. um, over vastly overcharging for hovels. I mean. I'm 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 not even joking. Places where the the floors are spongy, there's mold everywhere, there's exposed door exposed walls with nails poking out, um, no banisters, bathrooms that there, one place I saw had a bathroom where literally there was no toilet, there was just a hole, like sewage leaking in the basement, um, and these people were paying non-white people in Geneva were paying um, I want to say twelve thirteen hundred dollars a month for this place, so that type of violence um and then when these people then go to the courts to try to get um some relief for this mm-hmm. they're under police there the landlords they, they are they receive under policing there the landlords are not held accountable um uh the uh, organizations that have put these people in this housing are not held accountable um and these people pay out thousands and thousands of dollars never recoup any of that and have nothing to show for it except oh well you should leave Right. Well, where are they supposed to go? Um, and then also there's the, 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 the crime aspect of that, um, where you have people who are having domestic violence issues or who are uh, who have kids who are being uh, bullied or or targeted in schools. Mm-hmm. And nobody responds or nobody responds adequately, adequately when they make complaints about that, when they actually need help. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have those two things together. And this is a really common thing to see in communities of color, um, especially where a police force is vast, vast, vast majority comprised of white people. Mm -hmm. Um, And this breeds an enormous amount of distrust. So then you have um, a horrible event happen, like somebody being murdered by the police, an unarmed person being murdered by the police. And then you want to come in on the heels of that and say, okay, okay, you all have to come together. You all have to come together, sign this mediation agreement, work together to fix something okay my issue with that is that first we're we're asking one law enforcement agency the department of justice to come in and police another law enforcement agency right they have there's no there's there's a big disconnect there let's just say so then um the problem is with this is there's been thousands of studies done on ways that police can uh, decrease propensities for violence, decrease propensity for violent income, for violent outcomes, and also demonstrate to the community that they are willing to be held accountable for their actions. We know what this looks like. It Mm -hmm. is not in any way incumbent on communities of color to tell police how to do their job. We know what police need to implement in order to fix these situations. Right. To rebuild trust, 
the fact that you're going to take a traumatized community, make them sign an agreement to say that they're going to work with work with their traumatizers, mm-hmm. work with the people who have harmed and victimized them and say, come up with some solutions. Dream big. Think think new. We're not going to give you any money to do this, by the way, right. but you're just going to you're all going to be held accountable here. Okay, um, so it's also the city getting a whole bunch. That's also another way for city to get a whole bunch of free labor from yeah. traumatized citizens. Mm-hmm. We know what structures need to be implemented to place decent checks and balances on the system of policing. I mean, there's some who would say that the system of policing is inherently broken and unable to be reformed. I'm not sure I'm necessarily there yet. Mm-hmm. I, I think the big issue is that we actually have not seen what it looks like to have a fully accountable police system. Right. So I'd want to see that before I'd rule it out. But yeah. Yeah. And the uh, and the compact, you know, when you read through it, it's it's the part of the agreement is is saying that neither side, neither side is by signing this, they, neither side is making it an admission of doing anything wrong Mm -hmm. and as as the compact as some of these new initiatives have come out i haven't seen anything in any of the initiatives that are asking or requiring the police to change anything that they're doing there's 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 nothing it's it's not a it's not an agreement for any type of reform which is somewhat ironic because police are the arm of the justice system that goes out gets people and says you've done something wrong we're gonna we're reporting it. Mm-hmm. And then it, as a criminal defense attorney, I'm in, intimately familiar with what that process looks like. Please go get you. Tell you you've done something wrong. They tell the DA's office. They tell the court. Um, hope, hopefully they tell your defense attorney. Depends on where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're arraigned, which is a really jarring, violent process. Um, you're in handcuffs. You're standing before a judge. You have no idea what's going on. N- I would. I couldn't. One out of a hundred people probably knows what even arraignment actually is. Um, I have clients who have multiple convictions who don't know what an arraignment is. So this is all very, very, very opaque. But basically, in order for you to come through that system and come out, either you know, with um, hopefully not a conviction, but whatever, com- whatever way you have to go through the system to get out, at some point, unless you are one of the lucky few and are able to go to trial and get fully exonerated, at some point, the court is going to require you to stand up in front of a room full of people and say, I did something wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm taking responsibility for this. And then through that way, you know, you're, you're released, you're, you get your, your reduction in sentence, you whatever. But it requires you to stand up and say, I did something wrong. We never ask police police officers, police systems to say they did anything wrong. As a matter of fact, if you, there's something, a little something that people, oh, not a little something, but it's um, it's called passive police language. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at the language around police inflicted violence, right. like officer involved shooting or um, it, it's all yeah. the most passive. We never put police we never talk about police in the way that places any responsibility for their actions on them, unless right. we're celebrating them, mm-hmm. unless they've done something good. Then they get all of the accolades. But if they mess up or they do something wrong, we minimize it and we separate police and responsibility as far as humanly possible, right. which is exactly what this compact does. Yep. A bullet was discharged. Yes, and exactly. That, it's that type of language. Mm-hmm. Just to go back, let's see what time we have, just to go back for a second. When, back to the housing issue, mm-hmm. 
A lot of people, when they hear that, they'll they'll think, how is that even possible in Geneva when you have housing inspectors? Um, how is it even possible that a landlord could get away with a dangerous, unsafe place that not a human shouldn't even be living in, and they are actually getting money from that when there are housing? How does that? How what would you say to people? How does that happen? Well, it's the same kind of issue that affects Geneva across the board. It's the question of, are we, how do I say, how do we say, because we, I think we talk about this a lot, but we, I don't think we ever put like a label on it, but it's people versus dollars. Mm-hmm. And I used to work with code, enfor- code enforcement investigators all the time. Good people. They wanted to be doing more, mm-hmm. but they were torn with the idea of like, because there were people who would, there were land oh, landlords who would come in and they would buy up you know, seven, ten, a dozen dilapidated houses, mm-hmm. not fix them up and just move people in and just take the DSS money right. um, or take their money, like take SSI money, whatever they were, the tenants were using to pay, they would take all comers, but all comers into these terribly unsafe houses. And so the code enforcement officers would inspect, they would say like, okay, yeah, this is a problem, but we can't come down too hard on this because we have to keep, you know, we have to keep a certain amount of like housing stock, like in the market, you know, you know, so there's people stay here. So they were torn Mm -hmm. between that thing that's kind of always the central problem in Geneva. What are we putting first? Are we putting our people first or are we putting money first? And I understand right. that Geneva has fiscal issues, 100%. I support that. I, or I don't support that, but I mean, I understand it completely. Right. But I always think that they they choose the, you know, what is the penny late dollar or penny now, whatever, um, the dollar yeah. now instead <clears throat> of the $5 that could come later. Right. And that was so evident in, in being immersed in like the low income housing situation in Geneva. Yep. All right. So... Were we gonna? Did you want to talk about? Yeah, I would like to talk about. I would like to talk about the um, the upcoming events that are happening, um, specifically the No One Assess Your Rights Youth and Police Police Community Conversation. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be Saturday, February tenth, at the Ramada Inn. Um, so eleven a.m. Pod- to two p.m. Eleven a.m. to two p.m. Uh, this podcast is going to come out on Wednesday prior. So yeah, that's coming up this Saturday. So what did you want to... It's... There's a way to do this. There is a way to do a Know Your Rights event for young people. Mm-hmm. Um, people do it all over the country regularly. Yeah. Um, this is not the way to do it. Yeah. You... Um, it's and I don't want to. I'm not saying this to um, um, to insult anybody involved because I respect most of the people who organize this a great deal. Carrie Bleakley is fantastic. Um, Lucille Mallard, um, but a Know Your Rights workshop should be a safe space mm-hmm. for people to talk about issues they've had with law enforcement and to. Th- work through strategies that could have changed that, that will change that in the outcome. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity for community letters, leaders to learn, community members, sorry, to learn from other community members, ideally within their age group, because they're facing similar issues. Right. When you invite the police, you make mm-hmm. this, you, it, it's no longer that safe space. 
It is no right. longer a space where people can share their interactions because as soon as you do, you better believe that every police officer in that room is going to remember your face and going to remember your name. And it's, it's probably not. And historically, this has not worked out for people very well. Sure. Um, it is not safe to be a youth of color and be uh, known and recognized by police. Um right. It's not safe to be a youth of color and not be recognized by police. Right. It's, a, it's a hard, it's a hard thing. But this is not the frustrating thing is that there are ways to do this, and this is not the way. And it feels like the police inserted themselves into this, sure. and that's a problem. Right. And now, if it was just to clarify the the schedule and the in the descriptions in the in the article in the Finger Lakes Times about this event, it doesn't specifically say if the police will be in the room during the. Uh, no and assess your rights workshop, but they're going to be around. I mean, the event goes 11 to 2, and uh, the meet and greet lunch with the police is at 12:30. So they're they're going to be around. And plus, there's something there's something unsavory about calling it no and assess your rights. Yes. I mean, know your rights is something that people know. Why? What is? The, why did they have to put in the assess part unless? Was there did did someone object to the idea of know your rights? And yeah, plus, I agree. If, if they were going to hold a know your rights uh, workshop, um, I don't think that the Ramada on the lakefront is necessarily the best place if you're going to be if you want to engage with yeah. people of color in this or scene. youth. It's or yeah, youth. youth and people of color. I mean, the Boys and Girls Club would have been. I don't know what their policy is, but mm-hmm. a place where it's more on the the theoretically when you are. Doing an event where you're centering a, a community in this community in this case it's youth primarily a youth of color. Mm-hmm. You go and you meet them on their turf because that's right. where they're most comfortable. And you're talking about something about that is uncomfortable, that is scary. So why are you yeah. then making them go to this fancy adult establishment? Yep. That's actually and that's also a pretty long walk from the neighborhoods where youth of color tend to live in Geneva. Yeah. Like yep. a really long cold walk. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a couple of things that in the article from the Finger Lakes Times, the January 11th article about the event, one thing I do want to take um, kind of that I think needs to be clarified is that uh, Lucille Mallard says that our youth need to have a better rapport with police officers and realize that police aren't always out to get them. On the flip side, police officers should feel the same toward children and show them respect. Um, I hate to spoil like Mr. Rogers episodes, which I were very foundational for my youth, but police are not always on your side. Um, mm-hmm. We've seen this over and over and over again. Um, police target youth of color. Police detain them for no reason to try to you know see if something's going to happen or search their pockets or do something like police are not on the side of communities of color frequently as ways we discussed earlier with both over policing and under policing Mm -hmm. and any obfuscation of that um really puts youth of color at risk should youth of color be respectful towards police absolutely should youth of color understand that um, should understand how their actions will their their very benign, very normal, very non-harmful actions may be viewed by police? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But we do a disservice to our youth of color when we don't when we tell them that police are on their side and are their friends instead and instead do not clarify that no, 
that that's not always that's not going to be the case. That's not always the case. Mm-hmm. Many times that is absolutely not the case. What you do need to understand more is how to leave encounters with the police alive. That is, yeah. and that is something we de- we typically defer to parents, but. To me, this feels like it's undermining that message, and that's dangerous. Because, you know what, even if this is maybe true in Geneva, I don't personally believe it is, but even if this is maybe true in Geneva, we have the magic police force that is incapable of... Uh, incapable of that kind of harm these kids are going to go somewhere else these mm-hmm. kids are going to go to college they're going to go to other cities they're right. going to go to other places where that is certainly not the case right and i think that there's i think the sad ugly truth is that because there haven't been a lot of police shootings in geneva of unarmed black people that a lot of people in the community don't see they don't see that it's an issue they say that happens in new york city it happens in chicago or baltimore that kind of stuff doesn't happen here but that's but it, a that's such a minimizing of the violence though like yes yeah. we're lucky we we've only had one police shooting of an unarmed black person that we know of here but i could there i could text text a dozen people right now who would have stories of how they were victimized by the police about Mm -hmm. how they were abused by the police about how they've been targeted by the police um about how they've and it's so just because and that's very interpersonal and currently there's no mechanism in geneva there's no mechanism in most places but we're speaking about geneva for any of those people to have any kind of recourse for that type or and for the community to know about it right so you know a segment of the community gets to remain you know blissfully ignorant and the other half of the community feels like you know they're shouting at the rooftops and there's no way for anybody to hear Mm mm-hmm so anything else about this event? It's any other uh Um, I mean I wish it were I wish it were different. Yeah. It could be done better. I mean it could be done in a in a way that is more reflective of reality. Yeah. And I I mean I also I'm gonna be going there myself just to just to see what I it's probably about will and, too. and to uh just to get get some uh understanding of what uh what they're what they're doing and mm-hmm. what and what does get done and what doesn't get done. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's coming up on February 10th. Uh, there's a couple of other things. There was an article that I just um, put out about the complaint resource mm-hmm. assistance uh, program. Um, I would love to. I would love to talk about that. Can we? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's jump into that. Okay. So complaint reads resource form resource uh, process is. Um, so so deeply problematic. So so re, to, to to make an analogy, recently Rochester, the county Monroe County was up for a big two point five million dollar grant to at, to be able to provide defense counsel to parents who um, were in danger of losing their kids right. for CPS complaints. Okay, um, Monroe County turned down the grant. They were awarded. They turned it down, and a, a renowned expert said, uh, a nationwide expert about the system that Monroe County just declined to implement to help low-income parents retain custody of their kids was that um, Monroe County uh, is afraid of accountability because they are they know if they are held accountable for their CPS services they will have to they will have to do better mm-hmm. and they are incapable of doing better so they're preventing accountability that is the perfect I mean so let's be honest 
there's very, 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 very few communities in in the United States that actually has a sound um, and durable police accountability system. Right. So Geneva's no different on that regard. However, Geneva's trying to sell you that they're being different on this regard by creating a volunteer complaint process. Mm-hmm. However, it's the least accountable accountability system ever. Yeah. It's volunteer-based. Um, the So, again, the city is exploiting free labor of citizens. Yep. Um, it's um, opaque. Once you s- submit your complaint, like, hope, you know, you'll be contacted by one of the volunteers once they talk to somebody else. But the volunteers have no real power to make police officers speak to them or right. find out what's going on mm-hmm. or or even have a say in, you know, if there should be any um, uh, punishment or anything like that. It's basically you send off your issue, somebody will read it. They'll say, they'll get back to you and they'll say, you know, we're looking into it. And then Mm -hmm. essentially nothing may happen. Right. And you will never, and you'll never know. Um, That's not an accountability system. That's a PR system. That's a PR ploy to say we're pretending in accountability. Right. Accountability is open. It is it is open to everyone. It's open to people. The more eyes, the better. That's an accountability system. I don't understand why police forces across the country and in Geneva, why why they're so afraid of that if they have nothing to hide. Why are yep. they so afraid of it if their procedures are above board, if everybody they work for is, a, you know, stellar, a, a hero among men is, you know, out there doing their best for the community? Why are they afraid of people seeing that? Uh, we all understand. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I think most of us understand that policing is messy. Mm-hmm. We understand that. We're not children. Most of us have a thing for for Lieutenant, or not, I don't think he's Lieutenant, Detective Briscoe. He was great. Jerry Orbach. So we understand. <laughs> I won't say most, but some of us. We understand that. We're not children. We can tell the difference between when somebody was trying to do something and it went left and something so there was a response needed to happen. Yeah. So why won't you trust your community? You're, we're supposed to trust you with our lives. We're supposed to trust you with our safety. Right. But you will not trust us with your... I mean, with with anything? Yeah. Right now, there. I mean, the, Geneva has... I mean, yes, Geneva's not unlike other places, but Geneva has has shown some rather remarkable resistance when, when pushed on even the lightest of things. We, uh, I mean, you, Jim, you were part of this when we uh, tried to hold Chief Trickler accountable to living up to the terms of his employment contract. Right. And instead of... Instead of any accountability there, all we were given was Chief Trickler's a good guy, so we're going to make an exception to the rules. Right. How many, it would, I mean, are the Geneva PD in, in the habit of making exceptions to the rules for the good guys? Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, I mean, that's like, the message. That's, yeah, that's the message. Like, is this how, is this how the city, is this how the city's going to be run? Is this how the kind of the arm of accountability in the city mm-hmm. is demonstrating their ability to be held accountable, which is not at all. It's really... And, and the other thing about the, the, the complaint resource assistance is they were... The program was created because of problems with the complaint process. Mm-hmm. So people said that when they tried to submit a complaint, mm-hmm. nobody would give them a form, or they'd be treated rudely, mm-hmm. or they weren't wouldn't heard be that told, a lot, or they wouldn't be told what the what the results were, or there was no deadline, and when they would receive the results. So so 
in the community compact, it was said that the police need to make their forms more available. They need to give people a, a, the results. They need to keep people updated promptly, and, which are things they should be doing already. Bare minimum. But the complaint resource assistants are only in place to be a buffer between the police and the person who's filing the complaint. They're not advocates. No. no. Specifically, their job description is not to advocate for anyone, nor does any... I, I haven't seen anywhere in any of the materials about the program that the assistants, if they see a problem, if they see that there's that, that the police have done something uh, done something untoward or there's any misconduct, they don't, they're not being asked to bring it to the community compact or anything. There's, no. it has no, there's, it, goes it, has nowhere. No, it has no bearing on accountability no. at all. No, 100%, which is, I mean, and I remember back to when we were negotiating the second round of the, the, of the community compact. Mm-hmm. I was with Tools for Social Change. Um, I was 100% against signing it because from the very start, from the negotiation of the second community compact, the police had 100% taken a civilian review board off the table, which yep. is, which is, I mean, was just, just a, astonishing to me. You're... We're not a giant city. We're not New York City. We're not. We're not. We're not Rochester. We're a town right. of thirteen thousand people. You're afraid of, you know, five of them being able to look at your work and say you did something wrong. Like, mm-hmm. wh- why do you think you? Why do the police think they are essentially above the law? Why do they they think they are above having to be accountable just like every other um, public servant? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so and so the fact that this it was the full one was taken off the board from the get go, which just signaled to me that whatever came out of this as a reform to their complaint system was going to be ineffectual, which right. is exactly what we have is mm-hmm. something ineffectual and ineffectual accountability, ineffectual accountability uh, structures are dangerous. Yeah. They tell people that they are above the law that they do that they are beyond the reach of the people they are beyond the reach of censure by the people when they work for us yeah why are we allowing our employees to tell us how to how to supervise them that's a problem that's not how democracy works yep and they and and when they were recruiting people to be these complaint resource assistants they said that it would the effort was uh, being put in place to help improve transparency, which it doesn't. It does nothing. That's a complete misnomer, and it's yeah. it's 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 just simply not true. It's PR. It's it's, PR. it's pure PR. It's it's just like the uh, chief trickler is a great guy. It's a PR deflection mm-hmm. so that they don't actually have to join the 21st century and implement actual reforms that will not only make Geneva safer, but will make them better. When you have, like, I'm an attorney, and I'm a, I'm a rather junior criminal defense attorney in my office. Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm in court and I have senior attorneys standing behind me, I'm better. Like, yep. I think more about things. I think through a lot more things. I, you know, I bounce ideas off of them. I get better with that oversight, with that accountability. Um, that's what happens with humans. But this desire to just remain in the same old, same old that has not that is not working for Geneva, has not worked for Geneva, is is disappointing. Yeah. Well, Natalie, I think we're uh, I think we're at the time limit. 
This will is you, the one. Will you come back and do this again? 100%. I'd, I'd like to have you back. I'd like to maybe uh, have you and Laura on at the same time, too. That's, and we that'll can get be... into a lot of others because there was a lot more we, we could have definitely oh, yeah. gotten into today. 100%. This was so fun, Jim. Thank you so much. You're I love welcome. the Believer. Thank you for being on the Geneva Believer Show. Yay. Believe. And believe. Thanks for listening to the Geneva Believer Show. Go to GenevaBeliever.com and enter your email address on the homepage to receive updates for new stories and podcasts. If you have comments or suggestions, use the comment page on the website or leave a message on the Geneva Believer hotline at 315-577-3770. If you'd like to support Geneva Believer, visit GenevaBeliever.com and click the support button. And as always, anything you can give to help the blog and the podcast is deeply appreciated. Until next time, believe. He said he couldn't stay Because the world was gonna end at the end of May We're made and pass And everybody's still sitting here on the ass With some talk They're now waiting for the judgment day